think doubt is so important to society and culture. Doubt and questions, this is how we grow, how we progress, how we get better. If you don't have those, then how can you grow? I'm not even close to declaring myself a Christian, but yeah. I do have questions about spirituality. Um, yeah. So I feel like I'm moving on a path towards a spiritual destination. Um, it's just slow going and I've, I've got a lot of questions and it takes a lot to try to convince me. Yeah, I would, I would agree in that sense of, you know, I'm not necessarily on the, the Christianity border, um, but I, I definitely have some strong beliefs and, you know, always questions, of course. I would say I'm really close. Like, I'm almost there. I really want to be right there, but I'm just not quite yet. Yeah. And, and I would kind of like the same thing. I'm kind of like hunting, searching, looking for that place to call a home church. Yes. And I just haven't found that place that is comfortable yet. I, uh, I don't believe in the, the whole the Bible thing, you know. I mean, uh, but I know there's something inside of us. There's something more than this meat suit, um, you know, <laughs> that when this dies, it, we, go, we go somewhere, something happens. I had a lot of doubts. Yeah. I had quite a few doubts and nobody, nobody really took the time to answer any of my questions. They just said, you know, this is the prescription, you know, this is the church we're going to, you are obligated to go or else, you know, you can't see any of your friends ever. Yeah, I had a pretty similar experience growing up, you know, it's very, very much a church family. Same, same way, we were at church every Sunday, uh, you know, Bible studies on Wednesday. Um, and then I came, you know, to about 12 or 13, and um, I was actually I was playing soccer with uh, a kid named Idris, and his family was Muslim. And I started, you know, really thinking and questioning for myself, like, what do I believe? What do I think? Do I really think that, you know, Idris is wrong? Even though he's a good person, one of my best friends, is he going to hell because he doesn't believe in Jesus. And so eventually it was just, you know, too much to take to go and sit there and not be accepted as having questions. Hmm. It's just kind of brush, brush you to the side and we don't want to hear your doubts. You know, I, I had questions and, and it wasn't that I was questioning what I was being told. I was, I was actually looking for answers. For me, I was never able to find that, that comfort and that, that uh, acceptance in, in any of the churches that I've gone to. And, it's a pretty scary thought, and if I don't have, you know, that moment where I decide to take that leap of faith, you know, what if I miss the boat? Yeah. And what, what if that is a mistake that I'm making? You know, what if I'm, what if I'm doubting, and that's causing me to take the wrong path? I have a purpose. Like I, I live my life to love people and try and you know make the make the world around me as good as I can, but. Um, you know, seeing people that have that clarity that you see in people that are really, really have that strong conviction. Yeah. And you'd be jealous sometimes, I guess. What you just saw there is a group of five folks who have not yet crossed the line of faith. And they're wrestling through some very real questions, doubts, even disbelief about our Bible and about our faith. I'm really curious how you, as you watch that, how you react to that video and the questions that are, 
are asked. There are several things I could comment about that video. One of the things that jumps out at me is there's got to be more to this soul thing and this life than just the meat suit we live in. That's an interesting statement, not just the meat suit thing, right? Also, did you catch the gal who said, you know, never, no, no one has ever taken the time to address some of the questions, the doubts that I have? Just kind of drug me to church, and I don't get a chance to ask the questions. Listen, this is why we're going to wrestle for the next six weeks together in this Room for Doubt series. I'm excited about this. I can't wait to see what kind of fruit this bears in our church, not just inside, but outside the walls of the church. Because people wrestle with doubt. And that is not confined to outside the walls of the church. We, those of us who are deeply entrenched in this thing, who follow Jesus closely, we still wrestle with doubt. I want to explore that today. Hey, you might have noticed a familiar face in that video. Many of you met a gentleman last fall named Gary Poole. Gary actually came one weekend and preached from this platform. He lives out in Colorado now. But uh, he was here to preach during our One Life series last fall. Perhaps you remember, I said early and often, you have one life to invest. Who is the one life you're investing in? And Gary was here to coach us on how to pick, how to choose your one, how to reach out and think about your neighbor, your coworker, somebody who maybe has not yet crossed the line of faith, but you're intentional in the way you connect with them because you love Jesus and you want to see Jesus' heaven grow. You love your neighbor as well. Anyway, he was here that weekend. He told a story in here about his one. His name is Jay. Some of our students, actually, that night got to meet Jay. He was down in our student ministry wing, and he got to be interviewed, and there was a whole conversation that was pretty cool. I snapped this photo that day. This is Gary. This is his one Jay, and, of course, this is yours truly. Room for doubt is for all three of the folks in that picture. Somebody who has not yet crossed the line of faith and a couple of pastors and friends who still think about doubt, who have deep faith but still wrestle with questions. I can't wait to see what God does in us and through us over the next several weeks. We're launching this six-week series. Can I just share with you, here are some resources that you're going to want to make available to yourself. Do me a favor right now. Actually, do yourself a favor. Reach into your pocket or your purse or wherever you keep your smartphone. Pull it out. Go to your web browser and dial in this website. Dial in. Type in. Use your thumbs. Let your thumbs do the walking. Roomfordoubt.com. Go to that website, please, roomfordoubt.com. You'll notice there, there is an action step. You could download the app. And it'll take you to whatever your app store is. Most of you probably have the one with the apple on the back. And it'll take you there. You can download that app. There is a fairly robust series of tools there. Questions with answers. Articles that you could read through. There, there's some great content. Make yourself familiar with that. Use that as a resource over the next several weeks. Also, we have a, a phone number that we put up on the screen last week, 317-689-8576. 
If you have an interest in being a part of a Room for Doubt group, a small group, wrestling through some of these good and appropriate and healthy questions together, text GROUP to that number. Also, anytime while I'm preaching today or this week, if you take that number, text to that number, 317-689-8576, your specific question. If you've got a question, oh my goodness, what about this? I have room for doubt in this area. Please, we want to make sure we're actually answering questions that people are actually asking. Text us those. We would love to interact with those questions as well. Okay, this is designed for all. Those of you who call Venture home, those of you who are maybe just kind of sticking your toe in the waters, you haven't been here long, or maybe for some of us, we have yet to cross the line of faith. We don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. What I want to do today is we're going to examine, well, all kinds of things about doubt. First of all, we're going to look at doubt closely to see what it really looks like. What is doubt? Second, we're going to see how doubt affects us and what makes it grow in our psyche. And then finally, we're going to look at practical ways to overcome maybe maybe even benefit from doubt. In other words, what is doubt, what causes it, and how can we grow even through it? Okay? First of all, what is doubt? There's a good way to look at this. I want to look at three misconceptions about doubt. This is what I'm calling it. Three lies we whisper. Sometimes we whisper these lies to ourselves. Sometimes these are lies that are whispered to us. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But here's one of the lies that we whisper about doubt. It's this idea that doubt is the opposite of faith. Spoiler alert, it's not. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. We tend to think in terms of black and white, yin and yang, equal and opposites. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. I was thinking about this, oh, a few weeks ago. I was visiting my daughter in Colorado. She was doing this like intensive spiritual training exercise, and there was a speaker that was there that week. And she uh, sat through all of these lectures where this speaker, now listen, I deeply love the Lord. There is a spectrum of faith in how we approach spiritual things. There's a spectrum of faith in how we approach, like, spiritual forces and principalities, the Bible says, and powers. I'm not looking for a demon under every rock. There are some folks inside of the Christian faith who probably, well, they're kind of hyper-focusing, in my opinion, on the demonic and the forces of evil in this world. I think we need to pay attention to that. We need to be very aware of that. But I'm not looking for a demon as the cause of everything that I'm struggling with. So anyway, Kimmy and I are sitting there over lunch, and she's got all these questions. What about this? What about this? What about this? All of these great questions. And when she was done, I said this. I said, listen, I want to answer all those questions. I want to unpack that. I want to wrestle with those. We're going to have time to hike and hang out together. That's going to be awesome. But first, let me make this statement. Satan is not the opposite of God. Satan is not God's opposite. You can't think in terms of yin and yang. You can't think in terms of black and white here, good and bad. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. Satan is a created being. He has some power, 
He has some influence. But God is all-powerful. Satan and God are not opposites. Similar, doubt is not the opposite of faith. You can't give doubt that much power. Be careful. The opposite of faith is disbelief. That's a pretty important distinction. What's disbelief? Well, disbelief refers to a willful refusal to believe or a deliberate decision to disobey God. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. You can have a strong faith and still have questions. I do. I believe I have a strong faith. And oh my goodness, do I have a long list of questions I cannot wait to get to heaven to ask my God about. It's been said that struggling with God over the issues of life doesn't show a lack of faith. (laughs) That is faith. Don't believe me? Sometime read the book of Psalms. The human soul has been wrestling with faith, wrestling with questions even of doubt for a very long time. Here's the second lie we whisper or sometimes they are whispered to us. Doubt is unforgivable. It's not. By the way, I don't tend to think of doubt in terms of a sin. I'm not even sure you have to be forgiven for it. But sometimes we buy into that as a lie, don't we? Listen, God does not condemn us when we question him. Don't believe me? If you open up your Bible and you look through the New Testament, there are all kinds of people who doubt God. And God, in the form of Jesus Christ, meets them exactly where they're at. I talked last week about doubting Thomas. In the Easter sermon, we talked about doubting Thomas. I love how Jesus approaches Thomas. In John chapter 20, you're welcome to go there with me if you'd like. I'm in John 20, verse 27. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, comes to Thomas and he says, Hey, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. He meets Thomas exactly where Thomas is, in the middle of his doubts. And then how does Thomas react? I love this. My Lord and my God, I see you, I believe. Thank you for easing my doubts. We could look at a whole bunch of different cast of characters. Let's look at one more. What about John the Baptist? We talked last week about prophecy, this idea that all of these prophetic uh, prophecies that Jesus is coming, not just that Jesus is coming, but people like John the Baptist, somebody is going to be pointing the way toward the Messiah. John is the fulfillment of prophecy. And John had all kinds of opportunity to see and believe. I believe that John had a deep faith. He once pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He baptized Jesus. He saw the heavens open up in that moment and he heard God proclaim, This is my son. I love him. I'm well pleased with him. He once said, John the Baptist said, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. But then what happens? He gets arrested. His life goes into turmoil. Here's a question you and I need to wrestle through. What happens to many of us, including John the Baptist, when tough times come? Well, if you're going through a tough time, you might know that doubt oftentimes sneaks into that space. That's what happened to John. 
He gets arrested, and he's not so sure about Jesus anymore in that moment. Luke chapter 7, verse 18, puts it this way. Calling two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord Jesus to ask, Are you the one who was to come? He's been saying for a long time now, This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. Or should we expect someone else? These guys come back to Jesus, and they're kind of sheepish. They say, you know, John, well, he, he got busted. He's freaking out now. He's not really sure about who you are. What should we say to them? And this is Jesus' response. Did he slam dunk John? Did he criticize him? Did he shame him? No, check this out. He replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. Tell him your testimony. The blind receive sight. I've seen it with my eyes. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear and the dead are raised. Go back and tell him this. And tell him that the good news, the gospel, is preached even to the poor. Go back and tell him about all the evidence that confirms my identity is what Jesus is saying. And they do. And then if you skip ahead to verse 28, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, among those born of women... There's no one greater than John, John the doubter. Jesus meets him exactly where he's at. He doesn't condemn him for doubting. He doesn't condemn John for that. He doesn't condemn, hear me clearly, he doesn't condemn you for doubting either. If you come to him with your sincere questions, don't you think God would rather you be honest than for you to have some kind of a facade a phony faith that he sees right through. Here's the third lie. We whisper in our ear or others whisper in our ear. Doubt, doubt is always unhealthy. By the way, it's not. Last week I told you that um, I was listening to a podcast. I'm driving down the road, and I heard evidence, in my opinion, for a global flood. And I'm like shouting at the speakers in my truck, oh, that sounds like the flood. That sounds like evidence to me. Well, what I didn't tell you last week, because it was Easter weekend, right? Right before that, as I'm listening to this conversation in this podcast, I'm hearing questions. And I'm seeking answers for those questions. And I'm wrestling through in my faith, but what about the age of the earth? What about this question? What about this question? Doubt is not always unhealthy. Hear me, there are always good answers to good questions. Don't be afraid of either. I, uh, I felt this actually just last night. I'm sitting on my back deck. One of our boys had just come over to our house because it's time to file taxes and dad owns the software program that he needs access to. Plus, I had cooked for him. I actually dreamed about this burger last night. This is the fruit of my labor, part of why Eric was there, not just to do his taxes, but to eat one of these. And I made the joke as I was serving these up, oh my goodness, I'm getting ready to break multiple commands from the Old Testament with this. It wasn't a funny joke, it was a pastor joke. You don't even get it. There are 613 laws. Many of them are dietary laws in the Old Testament. And I was kind of making a joke. You, you don't know this by looking at it. But there, there are two patties on there. One of them is elk. One of them is venison. Actually, I think they'd both be venison. One is deer. One is elk. And by putting them together, I was kind of making this comment that, you know, I'm breaking some of these laws in the Old Testament by combining these meats together. 
And then we're sitting there talking, and I thought, no, wait a minute, does that actually break one of the, can I eat those according to Old Testament law? So I looked it up. Yes, both of those, you can eat them. Why? Because these are animals, both elk and deer, that have a cloven hoof, and they chew the cud. So according to Old Testament law, you can eat them. And then I realized, oh, but wait a minute, no, you can't because the cheese. Something about combining meat with milk, that's a problem. And then I mixed in some ranch dressing as I was hand patting those things. Anybody else hungry yet? This is what's going on in my brain. I'm seesawing back and forth. Yes, no, yes, no, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then I started wrestling through even just a little bit of doubt. Man, that sounds like a lot of legalism to me. Why was that the system in the Old Testament? What's that all about? And then I'm in the New Testament. I'm thinking through, yeah, but grace, God restores. He redeems that process. My faith, even my doubt, even over dinner last night, in a minor way, is doing this. By the way, there are good answers to those good questions. Don't be afraid to lean into them because doubt is not unhealthy. Oftentimes, it's good. Something like that happened to Lee Strobel. He is a Christian author and speaker and pastor, I believe before that career, he served as a journalist. And he's written prolifically on this topic. He tells a story, he was at church, and he learned of somebody in their congregation that had questions. And so he went to this gentleman's house. It wasn't until he sat down he realized he had kind of been wooed into this, and there's a bit of a bait and a switch. This guy was a scientist, and for years he'd been reading up on books on how to disprove the faith. And for hours he sat there listening to this gentleman. He gets to the end of the night, and this is what he wrote, and you can find this quoted in A Case for Christ. Look at this. He answered the man, I can't answer all of your questions. Let's stop there just for a second. That's actually a pretty good answer. It's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know the answer to your question. You're asking me a question. I'm kind of flat-footed right now. It's been a while since I've studied up on that. I don't know. That's honest. But I don't think that after 2,000 years, you've come up with an issue that will finally destroy the foundations of the Christian faith. That's a pretty honest statement as well. I'm confident that there are answers. And I love the next line. He says this. Let me do some research, and I'll get back with you. And he does. He's a researcher. He finds good answers to good questions. And it was helpful for the gentleman that he was speaking with. And get this. It grew his faith as well. Doubt is not always a bad thing. It can grow your faith as well. Lean into the process. Okay, those are lies we whisper to ourselves. Or maybe, maybe are whispered to us. Let's look at the second question, what causes us to doubt? Because like cancer that can worm and infect its way into the systems of the body, doubt can worm its way and invade our souls. Let me share with you right now, there are more, but let me show you three places for infection where doubt can worm its way into your psyche, into your soul. We've learned it's not necessarily unhealthy, but doubt can actually be used to strengthen your faith. But hear me, it can be dangerous if we don't address it. Let's look at these places where it infects us. First of all, doubt 
can target our minds. Doubt can target our minds. We come up with intellectual objections to faith. We start wrestling with questions like Satan and angels and miracles and the resurrection we celebrated last week. And it pushes up against some of what our rational minds want to see or choose to believe. Doubt often develops in our mind because we don't know why we believe what we believe. We don't know why. For example, you might be having a conversation with a friend and you talk something about the Bible. Or maybe you reference a verse in the Bible and that friend says, well, do you know there's all of this textual criticism surrounding the Bible? How do you know that the Bible is true? Listen, if you don't know why you believe it, And by the way, there are always good answers to good questions. There are some great resources at your disposal where you could read up on the textual criticism of the Bible, how it stacks up against any other piece of literature much higher than any other piece of literature in the whole globe. It stands up even from antiquity. The Bible makes some incredible truth claims, but the Bible holds up even with itself well. If you don't know that, if you don't know the why behind that, well, that can invade your mind. Sometimes doubt can come if you don't actually know what you believe. If you have an inaccurate view of God, this can create doubt. If you hyper-focus on God's love but you know nothing about his justice... That can mess with your faith. It can cause doubt. Or if you think God has promised to answer all of your prayers in the way that you want them answered, then you're going to develop doubts when he doesn't answer your prayers the way you want them answered. But your problem is not with God. He never guaranteed these things. The problem is that you've got an inaccurate view of who he is. That's an open invitation to doubt. Number two, doubt can affect us through our emotions. It's not just our minds, but our emotions can be a place of infection for doubt to worm its way in. For instance, some people have a faith that's built on feelings. There's nothing wrong with that mountaintop experience that you felt when you were in middle school or high school at that Christian camp. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot right with that But if your faith is built just on what you feel, listen, if you've been married for any amount of time, you know that that's a problem. Marriage does not sustain just the feelings. You have to willfully decide, and the the brain and the heart have to interact well together with that. You don't always feel love for your spouse. You don't always feel love and devotion towards your Jesus either. If your faith is built just on feelings, that's a problem. How about this? Uh, Some people have personalities that are susceptible to mood swings and depression. Some of how they're wired, they can feel emotionally down, and that's when doubt creeps in. How about this one? Doubt uh, can come from emotions within people who have, get this, emotional scarring. Something that's happened previously in their life. In other words, if they have suffered abuse from a parent when they were a child... By the way, if that's you, I'm, I'm so sorry. Or maybe you were abandoned by your parents or you felt abandonment by a spouse or someone else that you deeply loved and trusted. Listen, if those kind of things have happened to you, can you imagine where that might affect 
your view of a loving Heavenly Father. And that might affect the way you view Him. And that might be a space where doubt can creep in. Check this out. There was a study that was done by psychologist Paul Witz a few years back that demonstrated how an overwhelming number of skeptics, well-known skeptics, even atheists throughout history, people like, maybe you recognize some of these names, Karl Marx, Bertrand Russell, Sigmund Freud, Friedrich Nietzsche, Albert Camus, Madeleine Murray, Hare, and a whole bunch of others, well, they had their father die or their father abandoned them when they were young. Or they had some serious conflict with their dad. Sigmund Freud would probably call that a father issue, a daddy issue, right? Listen, just because those things happen to you as a child doesn't mean that that's going to cause you to be an atheist. But sometimes emotional scarring from the past, there is a bridge there in how you view God. By the way, Speaking of doubt and how it can affect our emotions, last week we talked about this idea of claim it. Can I suggest to you that the burden of proof is always on the prosecutor? I grew up watching Matlock with my dad when I was a kid. How many of you have watched those courtroom dramas like that? And, but your honor, I mean, the prosecutor has to bring proof beyond a reasonable doubt, as I understand it. I'm no legal expert. But the burden of proof is on the prosecution, not on the, depend, the defendant. What about your faith? Could I flip the script just a little bit? Could I bolster your emotions the way you view God? Listen, what did I say last week, Easter? Some things you can know, some things you choose to believe, but there's always a step of faith. Here's a bold and true, in my opinion, statement. Hear me. I believe it takes more faith to believe that the cosmos came from nothing than it takes to believe that we're the product of an intelligent designer a creator. I believe it takes more faith to believe in the Big Bang than it does to believe that God spoke the world into existence. I would point to all kinds of evidence. Evidence demands a verdict, right? I would point to the systems of the body, my goodness, the respiratory system and the circulatory system and the way all of this is woven together to sustain life. Oh, I think that that points to intelligent design. I think that points to a creator. Your Honor, I object. The burden of proof is always on the prosecutor. I told you earlier, I don't look for a demon under every rock, but you do need to recognize. If you are a child of God, if you've chosen to walk with Jesus, there is an accuser in your life. We actually know him, according to Scripture, as the father of lies. Satan is the one who is often whispering those lies into your ear, seeking to deceive you, seeking to disillusion you, whispering doubt into the space that you live and breathe and move and have your being. The burden of proof is always on the prosecution, though. In my opinion, could you flip that script? I think it takes more to believe that this came from nothing then there's intelligent design. Why wouldn't we hold him to that same standard? 
magnificence God created. By the way, turn to your neighbor right now, look at them and say, you look magnificent. Do that right now. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look magnificent. Seriously, you look good. There's no way that happened by accident. Look your accuser in the eyes. Satan, you prove to me that God is not real. The burden of proof is not on me to prove the existence of God, but you prove to me that he's not real. Go on the offensive. Don't let doubt happen to you. Rather, battle doubt. Number three, doubt can develop out of your will. The sources, the places of infection can be the mind, can be the emotions. It can also be your will. For example, doubt multiplies when a Christian makes a willful decision to stay in a pattern of sin. Sin oftentimes opens the door for doubt. Oh, be careful. How about this? A stubborn sense of pride can cause doubt to breed. Listen, some of the smartest people I know that wrestle with faith, wrestle with the existence of God, in my opinion, oftentimes pride is a part of this. Author Oz Guinness put it this way, the proud man needs to doubt because the sense of his own importance demands it. It is not in his nature to bow to anyone. Be careful of your pride. Doubt can also run rampant if you have never committed your life to Christ in the first place. If you have not yet crossed that line of faith, well, doubt exists there, right? So, what do we do about this? What's the third question we said we'd wrestle with? How can we grow even through our doubts? Here's the answer. Let me put it in terms of solution. Just like cancer, When it works its way through the body, you do treat the symptoms, but you don't stop there. You want to cut it out. You want to go after it. You want to remove it. Stop treating the symptoms. Let's treat our doubt, but let's infuse something in its place. Let's go after the source. Let's go after the real issue. Can we infuse some faith into our life? That's how we battle doubt. So for the time we have remaining, I want to just encourage you to use faith. This is going to be an acrostic. You might want to write these things down. For example, the F stands for find the root of your doubt. Where does your doubt start? You heard me say sometimes it can spring from our minds Sometimes it comes from our emotions. Sometimes it can come from our will. Maybe you heard one of those and you said to yourself, hey, that, that's, that's me. He's talking about me. Well, discovery is good. Find the root of your doubt. How about the A? Well, ask God and others for help. Take an action step. God would love to meet you in that space. I love the story in Mark chapter 9 when the father of a demon-possessed boy comes to Jesus. I love this. He says, I do believe. Now help my unbelief. Jesus, I believe in you. You've removed some of my doubt, but do you see it underneath the text there? I still have some doubt, so help me. Help me with my unbelief. Have you asked God to do that? James chapter 4, verse 2 puts it this way. You do not have because you do not ask. If you're struggling with doubt, have you taken that to God? 
He wants to meet you there. Also, turn to other Christians for help. I mentioned to you earlier you could join one of these Room for Doubt groups. Great things can happen sitting down over a cup of coffee in a coffee shop. Great things can happen when we open up our Bibles together and we just throw the topic on the table and we wrestle through. There are always good answers to good questions. Lean into community. Why? It's biblical. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You could be healed of some of your doubt. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The I stands for identify. Identify in faith a course of treatment. For example, if your doubt stems from intellectual concerns, well, do something about that. Read a book. Lean in. Do some research. Do some study. Spend some time investigating that roomfordoubt.com website that I was pushing just a bit ago. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. There are always good answers to good questions. Lean in. Maybe you're realizing that emotional issues are generating your doubts. Well, maybe it's finally time to go see that Christian counselor that you've been thinking about. Hey, that's something I need to do. Lean into that as an action step. Maybe your doubt is a matter of your will, and you need to look deep inside yourself and uncover why you are resisting God. Be honest with yourself. Are you really open to God, or are you using doubt to cover up your willful resistance to God? Would you simply say yes to taking an action step today? The T in faith stands for take care of your spiritual health. You have one faith, steward it well. Take care of it. As King David said in Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Spend some more time with him. Lean in a little more to your questions. Seek a little deeper. We talk about this all the time. We seek Jesus and we see you. You heard Kyle mention that earlier. That's our vision statement here. I've had people approach me before here and say, well, I'm done seeking Jesus. I've already found him. Well, great. But I want to be a lifelong seeker. There's way more I can learn about who he is and who he's wired me to be in him. I want to be a lifelong seeker of Jesus. I would challenge you to be the same as well. The H stands for hold your remaining questions in tension. There are some questions that you get a taste of the answer, but, oh, I'm not completely satisfied, and I might not be satisfied with that answer until the other side of death, the other side of my eternal life. There are some questions that God can give me a taste of the answer, but oh my goodness, when I get to heaven, I've got a whole series of questions. Like, for example, I lost my mom. I shared this last week when I was in high school. I've got the question of why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Listen, I know. (laughs) I know good comes out of tragedy. I've seen it plenty of times in my own life. But I still have questions there. I can't wait to ask my loving Savior who, like Thomas, and Jesus pointed to him, is able to show me his nail-scarred hands. I can't wait to ask him for the answers to those good questions. So hold your remaining questions in tension. Faith. 
That's what we're leaning into, right? Find the root of your doubt. Ask God and others for help. Identify a course of treatment. Take care of your spiritual health. And hold your remaining questions, good questions even, in tension. Can I share with you some next steps? Where do we go from here? Well, first of all, let me challenge you, and I, I mean this. Come back next week. Anytime you're in town, and if you're not joining us online for the next six weeks, lean into this topic. I can't wait to unpack some good questions more. Come back. Again, here's an action step. Sign up for one of our Room for Doubt discussion groups. You simply text GROUP to that number. Keep texting us questions. If you've got a question, you can text the specific question to that same number. We would love to interact with you on that. And the website. I mentioned roomfordoubt.com. Spend some time unpacking that. Spend some time watching some of those videos, reading some of those articles. There's some great content there. Speaking of good content, good resources, could I suggest to you two good books on this topic? You might even want to pull your phone out right now and take a picture of this screen. These two books, Mark Middleberg, The Reason Why Faith Makes Sense, and how about this one by John Ortberg, Faith and Doubt, Embracing Uncertainty in Your Faith. These would both be great reads. I would recommend both of those to you. Okay. We have a journey over the next six weeks. I'm looking forward to taking it together with you. As we bridge this with a response in worship. Can I read to you a passage of Scripture? And then I want to pray that passage together. Paul writes this in his letter to the Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He's talking about the things that we hold in tension between this side of death and the other side of death, our eternity. I love, and this is the Apostle Paul. He says, now I see things imperfectly. The Apostle doesn't have 20-20 vision. Like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then in heaven, then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. This is the Apostle Paul. He's acknowledging doubt. But then I will know everything completely. Just as God now knows me completely, I put my faith and trust in the one who is able to see the answers to my questions. Would you stand up with me right now? I want to bridge this moment with a response in worship simply by praying that verse together. Would you lean into this sincerely as we pray together? Father, we can see, and we can understand only a little about you now, as if we're peering at your reflection in a poor mirror. But someday, we're going to see you in your completeness, face to face. Now all we know is hazy and blurred, but then we will see everything clearly, just as clearly as you see into our hearts right now. Father, we have confidence in this because of what you have already chosen to reveal to us. And it is in Jesus' precious name that we pray, and in his name that we respond in worship right now. Amen.